Off the Record, the weekly KOTO public affairs show that offers you, the listener, an opportunity to hear in-depth conversations on community topics and issues that matter. As always, you are encouraged to join the conversation by calling 728-4333. Now here's your host. Good evening, Kodo listeners. Welcome to another installment of Off the Record. I'm Matt Hoish from the Kodo News team. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in for this hour on your Tuesday night. Tonight, we are chatting about the San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation, commonly known as SMART. You see those buses all over the region, Norwood, Rico, Down Valley. They are all over the place, Lawson Hill even. Um, and joining us in studio to talk all things SMART, we have the leadership team from SMART, David Averill, Executive Director, and Carrie DiStefano, Operations Manager and Senior Planner, both of you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Thank Matt. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Listeners, it's off the record, so if you have a question about anything public transit related, give us a call, 970-728-4333. Again, 970-728-4333. And I will preempt any, maybe anyone who, who may be confused, that you all do not control the Galloping Goose or the Gondola. That is not That's your purview. Right. So if you have a question about the Galloping Goose, call Telluride, Gondola, Mountain Village. <laughs> um, but to start off for both of you, a um, little bit of background. How did you each get into public transit. What was the draw? Well, for me, um, initially my interest in it was as a user and um, I guess my first foray into in any kind of attempt, and I say attempt because it was not successful, of policy making was to be on the committee the town used to have that was an anti- congestion committee and a traffic calming committee. Um, like I said, it, it was unsuccessful, but I've always been a really dedicated transit user. It's always interested me, and the job came up, and I was excited to apply for it. Ooh. David? Uh, I've been working in transit in Colorado for just about 20 years at this point. Um, I got a graduate degree in urban and regional planning with a focus on transportation systems planning, and out of school, I landed in Fort Collins. And I worked on a large capital project there. If you've ever been to Fort Collins, the MAX BRT, Bus Rapid Transit Line, was one of my first projects. And that set the stage for a bunch of different roles I've played over the years. Um, really enjoy being in transit. I think it's great to um, be able to do something that has such a positive impact on a community and a region. And um, like the work that we do, so we just keep doing it. Hmm. Well, Carrie, you had a bit more of a circuitous route here because you, until recently, were the town manager over at Ofer. Rico. Rico, sorry, Rico. sorry, Rico. Yeah. And then came over to Smart um, recently. And David, as you're saying, you had a very much more, I would say, maybe straight arrow approach where you got all the graduate degrees and really have... After grad school, it was pretty straight, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but for you, David, I mean, what what is really the magnetic draw of public transit? What what really was it that just pulled you there from the start, it sounds well, like? Well, I, like I said, I think it, it, it is such a huge bearing on a community's livability, uh, equity concerns, but people have an equal shot about getting around to work and school and shopping and things like that it's real it's a real leveling of a playing field and i really enjoy being a part of that i think it's valuable and worthy work mm. well you were brought in david a few years ago to really build up smart essentially from from the ground up basically um and i am curious at this point i mean a few years into this um well just for your general reflections on where where smart is at this point after building it up from from really not that much well we all built it together number one i just was the guy who was trusted to help out um, but it is kind of fun to step back and look and uh, 
see what has happened over the last four some years. Um, to be honest, I didn't think we'd be this far, you know, as far as being able to have a larger fleet, expand some of the routes, uh, start zeroing in on the facility question, things like that. Um, so I, I'm pleased with the progress that we've made. Um, we obviously have a long way to go. And frankly, I don't think that there's ever an end to this. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, it's going to be a big system at some point, I think. You know, I don't know when, but. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, what is, I guess, the well, the hardest part of building something like this from the ground up? I mean, it sounds like maybe the, the idea is just to get some buses and people start riding the buses around, but I imagine it's harder than that. Um, so what, what really have been kind of the, the biggest challenges the last few years making this, this system start to work? Um, I think the number one thing was just rounding up buses. You know, my, my first day here, uh, Smart had an office, but I didn't have a computer and I was working at a card table. Um, and about two weeks into that, um, I got a visit from our good friends at the town of Telluride and they said, hey, we want to hand off Norwood and Down Valley to you. <laughs> um, you have nine months, <laughs> which was fine. Um, we ended up buying used, used buses from them, which was a great deal for us at that point in our, our evolution. And then the quickest way um, to get operations going uh, versus hiring drivers and dispatch. Granted, we, we had an office, but it was big enough for one and a half people. Um, the quickest way to get to a point where we could actually provide service was to bid out an operating and maintenance contract, which is what resulted in our, in our partnership with Telluride Express. Hmm. Um, Carrie, you, for, for anyone who does not tune in um, monthly, there are monthly smart meetings. There's even one this Thursday. We'll get to that later in the meeting. Um, but usually, Carrie, you um, present a lot of the ridership data at these smart meetings in terms of, you know, who's on what bus. And, and you really do keep track of this at a pretty surprisingly detailed level, I would say. Um, can you give our listeners just an overview of where things stand on the the ridership front? I mean, how much are people using all the smart buses in the region? Well, um, predictably, we lost some business during COVID because of capacity issues, but we're, we're coming back up. And um, actually, last month, Lawson was about 80% of its capacity. So we've been doing really well. Now, that that isn't... Um, that's like the peak times not all of the um the buses are full all the time but we get you know we get great ridership in in the commuter times and we get a surprisingly large ridership from students so we we kind of have to keep an eye on that because that that drives a lot of the ridership in rico and it drives a lot of the ridership from norwood there's a lot of norwood students that use the bus so we've been doing well we're about up to COVID, our pre-COVID numbers. Down Valley is better. Um, There's some reasons for that. We have expanded our route to two rivers. We didn't used to stop, we didn't used to go into two rivers. Um, Norwood's doing better. And again, uh, there's a reason for that. We've got some dedicated riders. We expanded our route from just picking people up from Norwood to Nuclead and Atarita and we have dedicated riders from Nuclean, Atarita, and Redvale. So we're, we're building and we're growing. And some of that is driven by the fact that there's such a housing shortage here. And transportation jumps in and picks up that slack um, when, when people can't find a place to live because they're coming from all over the region. Hmm, that's really fascinating. And I don't, I imagine you wouldn't have this data. Do you have numbers for, I guess, new riders? Or is that not really something you can, can track in terms of we look at you know year to year, um, quarter to quarter yeah. trends, um, but we don't know individual specific riders unless unless there's such a, 
consistent rider, we start recognizing them or the drivers start recognizing them, you know. But, um, and that happens. Yeah, it does happen, definitely. <laughs> Just ask Jaime, the longtime bus driver. Yeah. He knew everybody that got on the Lawson Hill bus. <laughs> <laughs> Perks of small, small, small region public transit, I should say. Um, Carrie, you mentioned uh, the C word, COVID, which has had no shortage of, of impacts on public transit. I think anyone who who rode buses last year when you know it was at half capacity <laughs> that will will remember those days of not being able to get on a bus sometimes quarter capacity in some cases yeah. very tight capacity yeah. <laughs> um grateful that there's no capacity restraints anymore but there are still mask requirements and as yes. of tomorrow wednesday the county is actually lifting its mask requirement the public transit is not lifting it that's so right still wearing a mask on buses that's right um David, I know that you have ears at the at the state and the federal level in terms of transit policy stuff. I mean, can you talk about if you have a sense of um, when that requirement may go away? Because that that's a federal mask requirement. Right, right. The 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 current federal mask mandate is still in effect through March 18th, so just a few more weeks. Um, I haven't been hearing that there's much appetite to extend it, but who knows? You know. But I I kind of think it'll go away at that point. Is is my gut feeling? Yeah. Um, I kind of want to ask this, if anything, maybe just for posterity's sake. And Carrie, I don't know if you'll have as, as much on this as David, but I'll throw the question to both of you. I mean, you've both been navigating a, a public transit agency through a pandemic, mm-hmm. um, which maybe decades from now, historians will listen back to this for, for some very specific graduate thesis about <laughs> transit agencies and pandemics. Um, but, I, you know, what, what have, have you both learned about getting, you know, a transit agency like SMART through something like COVID? What have been the challenges and the lessons that, that you've taken from this last two years, I guess? I'm going to let David answer that because <laughs> I'm only six months on this job. Um, well, first of all, I don't think anybody had a plan, um, you know, what happens when the pandemic comes. And so I think most of us in just about every sector were on our back foot. Um, a lot of uncertainty those first few weeks. Frankly, it was kind of scary and worrisome. I was really worried about frontline employees and drivers because nobody knew how the thing was spreading around. I mean, I knew how freaked out I was the first time I went to the post office, let alone driving a bus, you know, like being stuck in, in, a, in a space with other people. So that was worrisome. Um, you know, to be honest, part of me just wanted to shut it down um, because we didn't want to be a part of the problem either and have the buses sort of be a vector of disease. You know, <laughs> But nobody knew what was going on, really. We just, you know, it was this contact or aerosol or whatever. But as things, as we got more information um, and things started, I guess, adapting to that situation, you know, the biggest challenge for us, frankly, and there, you know, there were other little challenges, but the biggest challenge was the capacity constraints. I think it was absolutely necessary to do that. I'm not second guessing any of that. The challenge was is that we still had people that were showing up for a ride and the philosophy of myself and the smart board was that if people want to show up for a ride during a pandemic we want to get them a ride either they're an essential service worker that needs to get someplace or they don't have another option at all and we want to serve them so we made the call to run extra buses where we needed to because of that capacity constraint like i'm sure we had some people didn't catch a ride at times but we did our best to make sure that we had a trailing bus or something like that or we actually started running a third bus out of norwood every single day um, for uh, several months um to 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 bring that capacity to the street you know um that was a challenge um not necessarily financially but just logistically we don't have a ton of buses we don't have extra buses we can just throw out there and stuff like that but again that's like that's where our partners at telluride express stepped up and helped us out you know they have vehicles that we can we can use um so that was that was tough um trying to figure that out you know fortunately for us um we did go fare free as a sort of a countermeasure because again we didn't know if handling 
checks and cash and things like that was going to be a, a form of, of spread of this thing. So we went fare free pretty early on in the, in the pandemic and um, just recently turned the fares back on in January. So basically ran like a year and a half without fares. I think we're very lucky that we could do that. Um, large agencies can't do that. Um, agencies that are super dependent on fare revenue cannot do that. Um, I have a lot of good friends that work at RTD in Denver and they are stressed to the max about the financial situation over there. I mean, they've lost, they've, their service reductions, lost ridership that may not come back, lost fare revenue. RTD was collecting something in the neighborhood of $370,000 a day in fares. And it's like cut in half at this point. And they are heavily dependent on that to, to keep the system up, expand the system, operate it and things like that. So in some ways, that kind of thing didn't hit us very hard. You know, I mean, yeah, it hits the bottom line when you're not collecting fares, but it wasn't, it didn't put us in a position where we had to reduce services. In fact, we ran extra service hours because we could. Mm. Well, I hope that, um, hope that we're on the nearing the other side of this pandemic sure and, feels and like I, I hope things will only continue to get better and we're not gonna we be two too. steps forward one step back um i asked each of you um for a song before we started this show something you would want to listen to while traveling because i imagine there may even be some people listening to this show about transit as they are <laughs> transporting um themselves either on a bus or a car or i don't know maybe you're listening on a radio strapped onto a bicycle somewhere god bless you if you are um but anyway we're gonna throw in some music also to, to break up this conversation a little bit david your song of choice was uh was Mindbender by Dennis Coffey. Why'd you choose that, David? I, I stumbled upon Dennis Coffey's music just a couple years ago and I've been picking up different albums and this is a really good one if you're in the car road tripping. Just to roll the windows down a little bit and turn the volume up a little bit. Not nothing crazy. But uh but what does crazy mean? I don't know. <laughs> nothing nothing crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great song. All right, well, here's n- nothing too crazy, folks, but just roll down those windows if you want to. Here's Mindbender by Dennis Coffey. This is off the record. We'll be back in just a bit.
Oh, a nice soft fade there on a Mindbender. It was a Mindbender by Dennis Coffey. David Averill's uh, road trip song of choice, or at least one of them, I should say. <laughs> Terry, yours is coming up. No worries. <laughs> Listeners, if you're just tuning in, I'm Matt Hoysh from the Kodo News team. This is Off the Record. Tonight we are chatting with the leaders over at the San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation, otherwise known as SMART. We have in studio David Averill, the executive director, and Carrie DiStefano, operations manager and senior planner. And if you have any questions about public transit, about a bus that you take every day, or some question you want to ask the head honchos over at SMART, give us a call, 970-728-4333. Again, that's 970-728-4333. Going to turn now to the topic of expansions. I know, Carrie, you mentioned earlier that there were some expansions last year over into Nucla and Natarita, as well as into Two Rivers and Ilium of some routes. So some people now have smart service who did not have it before. Um, and I'm wondering if you can just give us an, an overview of some of the other expansions Smart has planned or maybe in the, in the, in the back pocket for the, the near future. So our most immediate expansion will be an additional trip to and from Norwood. And uh, we're actually looking for input from the community. It would be an afternoon trip. We haven't dialed the, ta- the times down yet, but um, we feel that there's a need for potentially restaurant workers or just people that might have chores, some kind of chores in Telluride that would take a midday bus in and then take the evening bus home. But. Um, that's first on our list, and um, like I said, we're looking for input. So if you want to shoot us a, an email um, with your thoughts, our email is on the website. Um, probably next in line, well, I, sh- I should start over. We're, having, we're looking at retooling the Lawson Hill route a little bit because it's gotten increasingly more difficult for the drivers to meet times on that half hour headway. So we're looking at a 45 minute headway, but with more buses. So they would go a little farther into the afternoon and uh, or into, the, into that gap between the, our, our last 10, o'clock, 10 a.m. bus and our 3 p.m. bus. So, and, and that's a thing, I, it's driven by the congestion on the spur, which gets horrible at the peak times, and it's, it's just really difficult for the drivers. And um, it frustrates our customers because they're out there looking for the bus, and 10 minutes later it shows up, and we, we'd like to get away from that. But sort of folded into that is potentially expanding the off-season service, which goes up into the Mountain Village. And the goal there would be to get people that are living in Lawson Hill up to the Mountain Village for work, because we know that there's people in Lawson Hill that work up in the Mountain Village. So those are probably our most immediate things. Our van pool system is expanding. Um, We're taking on five new buses from the Mountain Village, or five new vans, along with some riders, a lot of riders, and um, that's gonna get bigger. Um, and Vanpool services Montrose? It's right now over. it serves Montrose and Ridgeway, <laughs> yeah. and Nucla, and well, the, the Mountain Village that we haven't quite taken over um, goes to Nucla and Norwood in addition at off times. Gotcha. I don't know, did I miss anything? No, I just gonna jump in and say, you know, all this, um, these expansion projects were all identified in our five-year strategic operating plan that we adopted in November of 19. 
yeah. we kind of had to take a year off on expansions with the pandemic it just didn't make sense in that that policy environment with the capacity constraints and all that kind of things but we're now really psyched to get back up to speed and start rolling out these new projects and kind of chipping away at that five-year plan and this is all was adopted and agreed upon um you know several years ago so we're we're happy to have a game a playbook if you will and i think that there's good things to come that even next year you know we've still got some some more things to do mm. so it's exciting um as someone who who is a loss in bus rider I'll, I'll 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 declare my allegiance i guess on the radio or at least my my <laughs> frequent use um definitely you know perked up at the at the changes to the loss and route um, I'm wondering, are, are there rough timelines that you can give out for each of those route changes? I and mean, I'm sure someone in Norwood hears, you know, an extra Norwood bus running later in the afternoon and later at night would be rather appealing. So are, are there timelines uh, for that? Well, since we haven't nailed down that time, uh, we've uh, we've got a little survey that we're going to start putting out to the Norwood bus riders. Um, it It's probably going to be somewhere between 11 and 1 and then back to Norwood somewhere between 10 and midnight I'd yeah probably. that's that's what we're hoping to hear from folks like yeah. what's going to be yeah, the because we're not sure yeah what's going to be the good timing of that you know yeah. um we have a general idea after you know anecdotally speaking to folks and people calling with questions about why isn't there a bus at a certain time and things like that but um we try to find the sweet spot and it just helps to hear from people yeah, yeah. we got a um actually a listener text which is kind of adjacent to i think well pretty actually on the nose for the Norwood thing. Um, they had asked um, how you all are thinking about addressing transit needs with the upcoming developments over in Norwood and just the sense that probably more people are going to be living in Norwood in the coming years. Yep. Yeah, we're looking at it and waiting for it and preparing for it. Um, I'm pretty convinced that when both the foundation's development is completed as well as the Mountain Village, um, Town of Mountain Village development that they're pursuing out there is completed, we're very going to we're going to need a third bus in the mornings just for commuting. Right. Um, and so we've started, I've started looking for grant opportunities to kind of get that bus lined up, um, in the next two to three years. And we've even um, started a conversation with the County about potentially expanding the bus barn up there where we, where we park, because we want to be able to park our third bus in a third bus bay. <laughs> and there's only two currently. So, um, that's kind of what we're looking at. I met with town and mountain village staff last week to talk about what we would be looking for as far as like um, stop amenities and things like that. So it's very preliminary conversations, but we're definitely plugged in. Mm. Um, I will, I will also throw a question out there again, as someone who rides the Lawson bus and in, in the vein of questions of why isn't there a bus at this point or something like that. Um, why isn't there a Lawson bus between around, you know, 11 and 3 PM? Why is there that kind of mid afternoon gap in there? Well, the Down Valley bus serves, um, it does make one run in the mid-afternoon. We're still building from what we were given originally by the Galloping Goose. And um, <laughs> as another Lawson Hill rider, um, <laughs> on a personal level, it would be nice to have some additional midday runs. We've, we've built up, we used to just, um, as recently as last summer, we had a bus that came out to Lawson at three and went back to town. And then um, there was another gap until 4.30. Since then we've filled in that gap and it runs, it runs constantly from three till 10. But um, yeah, a, a, some more midday runs are definitely something that. Carrie, can you correct me if I'm wrong, but before SMART, wasn't there even less service on Lawson yes. in the morning and afternoon? Yes. So that yeah. was one of the first things. And this is that predates me even. I think that yeah, that's when right. Amy Levick was the acting 
director of smart for that first year before I was hired, they, that's one of the first things they did was they did an enhanced loss in service and, and shorten that gap. But yes, right. there's still a gap. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah always... I think they had, um, the down Valley bus used to go up there in the mornings, yeah. but it was pretty done by about nine. Gotcha. That's one of those things that we'll continually take a look at. You know, if we can find room for it in the budget and it makes sense in the grand scheme of things with the system, you know, we can put it on the table and have a discussion about it. Yeah. Briefly, before we get off of um, the expansions topic, just again, um, are there timelines for that for that loss in schedule change in that Mountain Village expansion? Not yet for the Mountain Village's expansion, but we're looking at uh, after off season for the the loss in Hill. We. We've still got some things to iron out with the Mountain Village expansion. Um, one being the trips both ways into the meadows. Um, there's, we've had some internal discussions about that. Well, I can imagine there are people who live in Lawson and work in Mountain Village who, whose ears will perk up if they hear that there will be an option to Good. take a bus there instead of, I guess, Lawson to town to Gondola to right. Mountain Village. Right. Actually, it's shorter just to walk up the meadows trail at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, or ride a bike. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's the best way. <laughs> or, or ride a bike. David Averill is an avid biker for anyone who I think did not did not know. <laughs> uh, listeners, if you're just tuning in, it's off the record. We are chatting with the San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation, also known as SMART, our regional public transit body. If you have a question or a comment about regional public transit, give us a call, 970-728-4333. Again, 970-728-4333. And we mentioned this at the start of the show, but we'll mention it again. They are not responsible for the Galloping Goose. That is the town of Telluride, and they are not responsible for the gondola. That is the town of Mountain Village. I'm, I'm just preempting. Maybe maybe we'll get someone who, who has thoughts on those, and sadly, this is not the show for that. But I'm sure we may have a show about that at some point in the future. Um, I do, though, want to dive into briefly um, the budget and kind of where things do stand for SMART financially and, and just the general constraints you all are under, because I can imagine people saying, well, why don't we have this service or that service? And and I'm wondering if if either of you can probably David, I guess, would would go into the where things stand financially for Smart and the resources that you all have at your disposal to enhance public transit service over the coming years here. Right, that's a great question. Um, you know, budget wise, we're doing fine. Um, we, like I said, we weathered the pandemic in good shape. Uh, we got a few federal relief grants that helped kind of pad the reserves and things like that. You know, so in my opinion, it's not really a question of budget so much as um, we could easily outgrow our capacity and in our infrastructure, right? Like we don't have enough buses to necessarily start new routes. Um, we have, we've got a toehold in a facility that we're not quite in yet, but, but frankly, our buses still go to Montrose for service, right? That, that's not super efficient. So it's, we're at a point where it would be easy for us to outstrip our infrastructure capacity at this point in our, in our, in our evolution. I think that we're on a good footing. Um, we increased the fleet size by five vehicles this year. We got um, all, all five of them were 80% funded by CDOT. I think that saved us $580,000 or something like that. But we got three new buses for the off season and loss in service, a replacement bus for Down Valley, and then an ADA lift compatible van um, that we're running in Ridgeway. So it's those types of little things that have to fall into place even before you can really start growing. And to me, being a longtime capital planner, um, to me, the infrastructure piece, and it, it's, it's absolutely critical um, to have a shop that you can call home, a um, place where you can get a vehicle turned around real quick on a repair if something's going wrong. You know, it's a, so it's, it's, a, it's kind of a balancing act because I know um, we want to we rise to meet community expectations, and I feel pressure about that just about every day. No one's, like, leaning on me, but I feel it. You know what I mean? 
Um, and it's just, it's a question of balance, maintaining balance, not getting too far ahead of ourselves because the worst thing you want to do is stick your neck out there, provide more service, and then something falls through and you have to reduce services, right? Because people get, they get into it. They like it. They, they get used to it. Then what if you had to yank the carpet out from underneath them? It'd be a, a bad scenario. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. Um, you know, the, the financial situation's good, but the, the infrastructure piece we're still developing. Um, and the, and the, the kind of the back end, the things that you guys don't see, <laughs> you see the bus going down the road, but there's a whole lot going on in the background, you know, um, that really we still have a ways to go. Mm. You'd mentioned um, rider fares are actually not a huge source of revenue for smart, at least compared to other transit bodies, not insignificant, but not significant. Um, but so what are the sources of revenue? Where, where does smarts money mostly come from then? Um, the bulk of it is the, the 0.75 mil levy and the quarter cent sales tax that the voters in this district and the smart district voted in, into place in 2016. Um, we do tap into a fair amount of federal operating grants to the tune of around 300,000 a year. That's just goes straight to gas and tires and paying the, paying the driver. Um, and then the capital grants are a little up and down because you don't ask for a new bus every year. You know, you'll get three a year and then maybe take a couple years off. But um, we've we've successfully tapped into state and federal grants um, on the on the cap on the capital bus and facility side as well as operating. Um, we also receive through San Miguel County the real estate transfer assessment that's collected in certain subdivisions in the eastern end of the county here. Um, that's a fairly lumpy source. It's been great, very strong the last couple of years. Um, but since it is based on sales volumes, it's sort of unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Unless you're in real estate and you've got a crystal ball, I, I need to talk to those people. But um, so that that one's that one is a great source for putting into the reserve, so that we have the room for buying new buses and fixing up facilities and things like that. You don't necessarily want to fund operations with a lumpy funding source, right? Mm-hmm. Because you could get behind the eight ball pretty quick. Um, one of the flashier items at uh, smart meetings, at least last year, uh, was an electric bus feasibility study you were all doing. And I know that in in our region where people are, I, I would say, fairly environmentally conscious, the idea of having, you know, electric vehicles, electric public transit, um, at least on the face of it, sounds pretty appealing. And so I'm wondering if you can give an update to our listeners about where things stand in terms of the potential for smart to perhaps have electric buses in the near future. That's a good question. I think that's what that whole study was about. It was a feasibility study, um, a real technical approach to looking at the current buses and the bus te- electric bus technology that's available today and seeing if it would work in our operating re- environment, which is not ideal for electric vehicles, right? Um, yeah. We deal with steep grades, cold weather, cold weather, all those kind of things. And you know, the long and the short of it is, is that the study came back and said that we have a couple routes where electric buses were feasible. Um, that didn't mean they're ideal. They still, Frank, honestly, I was really surprised to realize that they cost us a bit more money to operate over the life cost, the lifespan of the vehicle. Um, that was counterintuitive because I think they're, it seemed like they'd be a little bit cheaper to maintain, but maybe that's not, um, totally accurate. I think it was also the price of electricity because of the way we would have to charge them. Um, we would be, um, getting hit with the demand charges. So it actually becomes a, a, almost a more expensive source of fuel in some ways. Now, I don't want to sound negative about these things because there are scenarios where they would work for us. Um, the, the route that was called out specifically was the Norwood route, right? Like that's a, it's kind of a long haul route, but it's only 45 miles. That's well within the range of a battery electric bus, even with the heater on. And the, the, the reason it kind of worked though, is those Norwood buses come to town and they sit for eight hours. So you can plug them in, right? So that's all well and good if you want to have an electric bus. But, um, as an administrator, 
um, I have to ask myself, is that a good use of that expensive asset, right? Wouldn't we rather have that thing rolling so that we're getting our money out of it? And by the way, when it's rolling, that's the only time you're getting an air quality benefit out of it, right? So if it's not being driven, you're only saving, you know, a handful of miles a day with the thing, right? You know, that, that's when it's running on electricity. But um, the, the thing that I think we have to be careful of, and it kind of goes back to this earlier question about infrastructure, you know, we're a really young organization and um, investing in electric is a big deal, a real big deal. And there's, there's certainly, um, the, the technology is constantly improving. It's all about battery capacity and efficiency in the vehicle. Um, but like the small buses that we run on, on Lawson Hill and off season, the ones that are available for electric wouldn't do a full day of service. Um, we would essentially have to buy twice as many buses to do the job that we could do um, with three. You know, we might, we might need six to run an off-season day, and that's that's an expensive proposition. You know, on the flip side, that's an intensive route where you'd have a lot of air quality benefit you know, <laughs> because we're running so many hours and miles on that. So it's kind of a mixed bag, and I'm still trying to sort through it with the board exactly what we want to do. Um, my sense is that it's probably a little bit early for us to jump into the game. I've been talking to a lot of our colleagues around the state. Um, RAFTA is, has some electric buses run in Summit Stage in Breckenridge. I was uh, at, a, at a, a board meeting with a transit director out of Avon a couple weeks ago, and they rolled out some electric buses, but ironically, they have to heat them with a diesel fuel heater. So I mean, you, there's ways to do it, but what's the end result? And frankly, the, the kind of conversation we're having with Smart right now is that the air quality benefit for transit in general is when the buses are full of people right. and not in their individual cars, right? Mm -hmm. So we, in, in lieu of going after electric buses right now, and I'm not saying that that's a done deal, we still may, I just, we have to work it through with the board, but in, in lieu of that, what we really ought to focus on is this consistency thing, you know? Like this is why we're making changes to Lawson, for instance, right? To, to make it easier for people to use, more consistent, get them hooked on transit, and get them on the bus because that's where the real air quality benefit is that transit has. Mm. So electric buses maybe eventually sometime in the future, but in the meantime, just get on the bus. Just get on the bus, that's please. Right. It also helps with the congestion situation. It's a big deal. So. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're feeling environmentally minded, ride the bus to work. Yeah, helps with congestion, helps with parking, and parking is also no no small issue in these parts. Um. We are going to take another brief musical break as we break out um, Carrie's road trip song of choice. Carrie, you chose Me and Paul by Willie Nelson. Why'd you bring Willie here, Carrie? Oh, Willie's got the best road songs, and that's the one that came to mind first off. Actually, all country western singers have a good road song. There's tons of them out there, but this is one of my old favorites. Oh, well, we will be back in just a bit, listeners. In the meantime, here is Me and Paul by Willie Nelson, chosen by Carrie DeStefano. This is KOTO Telluride. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just a moment. It's been rough and rocky traveling, but I'm finally standing upright on the ground. After taking several readings, I'm surprised to find my mind still fairly sound. I guess Nashville was the roughest, but I know I've said the same about them all. We received our education in the cities of the nation, me and Paul. Almost busted in Laredo, 
but for reasons that I'd rather not disclose. But if you're staying in a motel there and leave, just don't leave nothing in your clothes. And at the airport in Milwaukee, they refuse to let us board the plane at all. They said we look suspicious, but I believe they like to pick on me and Paul. Well, it's been rough and rocky traveling, but I'm finally standing upright on the ground. And after taking several readings, I'm surprised to find my mind still fairly sound. Yes, Nashville was the roughest, but I know I've said the same about them all. We received our education in the cities of the nation, me and Paul. Kitty Wells and Charlie Pride. The show is long and we're just sitting there and we'd come to play and not just for the ride. Well, we drank a lot of whiskey, so I don't know if we went on that night at all. But I don't think they even missed us. I guess Buffalo ain't geared for me and Paul. Well, it's been rough and rocky traveling, but I'm finally standing upright on the ground. And after taking several readings, I'm surprised to find my mind still fairly sound. I guess Nashville was the roughest. But I know I've said the same about them all We received our education In the cities of the nation Me and Paul Me and Paul by Willie Nelson, courtesy of Carrie DeStefano, her uh, road trip song of choice. Thanks for bringing Willie and Carrie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Listeners, if you're just tuning in, this is Off the Record. I'm Matt Hoyce from the Kodo News team. Tonight we are chatting with the folks over at the San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation, also known as SMART, our regional transit body. We have David Abril, the executive director, Carrie DeStefano, the operations manager and senior planner. If you have a question or a comment for David or Carrie, give us a call, 970-728-4333. If you want to know about buses or, or, or service or anything of the sort, public transit related in our region, 970-728-4333. And we'll say one more time, they are not responsible for the Galloping Goose or the Gondola, but um, those green buses zipping around the region, that that is indeed them. So 970-728-4333. Um, Carrie, I do have to ask, this has been a, a 
for anyone tuning into the smart meetings a saga for the last year and a half plus maybe um for those not tuning in maybe they didn't even know this was an option but it has been going on that that smart has been trying for a really 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 long time to develop this app that would help people track buses and see where the buses are and, and be this whole app um and it, it kind of has not been going very well and i'm wondering if you can kind of just provide an update on where things stand on that saga is a good way to describe mm -hmm. it um we had um, hired a company to develop an app that you could look at your phone and watch the little buses hopefully moving toward you in a timely manner. Well, unfortunately, it never did work consistently. And I think it was a combination of things. Um, it's cell, it's uh, cell service dependent. And as everybody here knows that our cell service is unreliable. Um, and the, the company just never quite got rid of their bugs. Um, they had one issue when the Apple upgraded its off operating system that kind of threw a stick in the spokes. And then um, they found what they called a latent bug um, <laughs> after the last round of, of uh, tries we had to get it going. So what we ended, we have decided to start exploring some different options. And one of the, one of the things we realized throughout this, this saga uh, is that um, it, was, it would probably be better to use something that was satellite-based rather than cell phone-based, just because the satellites here, while they, we still have some blind spots in the canyon, they're somewhat more reliable than the cell service. So right now we're looking at potentially piggybacking onto the GPS service that our, our team members over at Techs use that has shown itself to be reliable. We don't quite know how that'll work yet, but we have not given up and hopefully at some point we'll have something that people can look at on their phones and say, okay, there's my bus, it's coming. Is there a timeline for when such an app could be a reality? Uh, I, I don't want to know. No is the short answer. We'd like to get it going as soon as possible, but we've got some learning to do. All right. Um, one of the other things on the time horizon um, is the off-season service that you all do. And, and we were actually chatting beforehand, and I kind of asked if you had off-season plans. And, and you brought up, both of you, that off-season is actually your busiest time because Smart, the gondola shuts down, and Smart kind of takes on the whole Lawson, Telluride, Mountain Village loop that goes from very early to, to very late. Um, and I do know that last off-season was the first time Smart actually really took over the service full-on. Mountain Village had been had been operating the service beforehand with smart um and i know there were some some kinks in that last off-season service with smart taking it on and so i'm wondering um if you all learned from that experience and if you feel more confident that this coming off season will have some more reliable service we definitely learned um we it was a big uptick in our service hours um i think we we are friends over at Te uh, Telluride Express ended up having to put on something like 12 new drivers um, and getting them trained and I think everybody's familiar with employee shortages around here so that was a challenge but we definitely learned from it um, we have spent a lot of time thinking about it this year we've spent a lot of time 
analyzing how we could make it better. And um, as David said earlier, our, our big goal is consistency. And um, to try and get a jump on that, we've already started conversations with Telluride Express, and we're all ramping up for off season. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. No, I think you covered it. I mean, it was uh, one of those moments of sort of maybe some growing pains. Um, you know, we knew it needed to do, but this maybe fell short in the execution a little bit, you know. Uh, that can happen. But all you can do is learn from the mistakes that were made and apply them to the, to the next round, which is the next opportunities this spring. So we hope to see improvement. All right. Well, offseason, a little less than two months away coming up. Um, Another thing that you all have, I know, have on the, the books at least to work on this year is, is a study for, for elderly and disabled riders. I mean, kind of understanding how SMART can, can better serve those riders. I'm wondering if you can talk about that and how you all are thinking about um, making your service more accessible to those members of our community. Yes, yeah, so um, we got a grant. Actually, um, this grant was in place before I started working for SMART. But what we got a grant and we have hired um fair and peers to help us identify ways in which smart can support the current efforts out there right now it's being covered by all points transit as well as i, I think there's some volunteer operations and um but we know that uh people in colorado are aging uh, san miguel county doesn't have a huge aging in place population but there 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 are a significant number and we're just looking at we're having um his name is jason miller is the lead guy he is actually in the process the first interview with the the key stakeholders which are san miguel county um tri-county health network and um, all points transit He's starting interviews with um, the San Miguel County tomorrow, and um, we're going to start gathering information. It'll include demographic information. Um, they will be identifying areas that, again, like I said, that SMART could help support, because that is in our IGA that, that we support. But at this point, we're, we're gathering information with the idea of an implementation plan that will support those services. Hmm. And, and when we say a, a senior and disabled study, I mean, I guess what are really the questions you're hoping to answer and, and what is, what are the changes to SMART you could see possibly coming from this? Well, the main question we're hoping to answer is we would like to identify gaps in the current service. Um, we, the other question we'd like to um, answer, and this is being addressed by a series of, of focus groups that this um, contractor will be undertaking is, you know, how big is our need really? Because we don't, it, it's hard to get a feel for that. Um, mm -hmm. we, we don't, you know, this community is, is geographically fragmented. There's a, there's a long, distance between the east end of the county and the west end of the county and we're just one of the things is that we're trying to get a handle on perhaps there are unmet needs out there we we just don't know and that's what we're looking the for. interesting sorry the, the interesting oh, thing about the senior and disabled services is they're pretty specialized right it's not a regular fixture out bus that, you, that that the general public rides usually they're rides that are arranged in advance Lots of times they're medical trips for dialysis or something like that or to get to a specialist and 
in Montrose or, or Durango or wherever. Um, and they're a bit sporadic because they're kind of demand driven by the customer, right? So All Points does a great job. All the partners in this area do a great job. Our, our tact here is to, to kind of get everything on the table and see, again, as, as Carrie identified, where are the gaps? And for SMART, where can we help fill those gaps? Is it, and it's probably a question of more funding, right? Um, these are services that I don't necessarily see us directly operating anytime soon, but rather continuing to work with All Points and entities like Tri-County to provide that service throughout the region. Um, it's well within our mandate. It's actually, as Carrie mentioned, it's in our governing IGA to, to, to do a project like this and to help support that. In, in an ideal scenario, um, we can come up with some sort of new operating plan and make the case to the state to leverage our local dollars into some grant funding dollars and expand that type of service, right? Like that's, that's, that's the play, I'll be honest, mm. <laughs> if, if it's necessary, you know, like, but, but you don't know what to do until you ask the questions. So that's, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Well, hopefully the answers to those questions will come over the, over the years this study takes place. So we'll definitely stay tuned for whatever comes of that. Um, another program that was in the works for a while that it sounds like um, is not going to come to fruition anytime soon, at least, was a bike share program <laughs> that Smart was working on. I'm wondering, um, David or Carrie, can either of you just kind of give some background on that and, and where things stand with maybe Smart operating a bike share program? Do you want me to take that one? Uh, you, since I don't know yeah, the I'll, history, I'll, yeah. <laughs> so, um, it's not going to happen. <laughs> this is the end, of, is the, is the, the end point. Um, but that was another one of those things that uh, the pandemic kind of screwed some things up. I and mean, we, we weren't exactly on a super expedient path to do that anyway because uh, other priorities came up and things like that but we did have a grant in place um uh through the state through cdot to buy a few uh bikes and do bike shares which have been tried in telluride before and the library has a great program right now um, we were looking at electric assist bikes which kind of got complicated um during the pandemic because the supply chain dried up um was one of one of the problems and then the other issue is that with the federal dollars we have to adhere to Buy America standards. And there's very few, very few bicycles, unless you go to like a high-end custom manufacturer, um, you know, build you <laughs> 20 custom frames for a bike share probably wouldn't work, but um, <laughs> uh, they're, they're hard to find. And so, uh, and, and the clock was ticking on the grant. So we returned it to the pool and that money is gonna be put to good use uh, here in the region, I believe, uh, just in a different way. Gotcha. So for anyone waiting for a smart bike share program, not in the books, at least for the near future. No. Um, David, I do have to ask you as the, as the executive director and the person kind of responsible for the, the, the big, big picture thinking with a lot of this stuff, um, what, what is your vision for where SMART is 10, 15 years from now? I mean, what is the big picture of where this transit body um, is headed, hopefully? Well, I think that's to be determined, frankly. Um, I think that, you know, when we get through these next expansion projects and into next year with some of the expansion projects that we might pull off, we're at the end of that five-year operating plan. So it's time to do another one because um, that was a strategic plan. It was kind of the things that set the stage for us looking for a facility, um, you know, why we're doing the expansion projects that we do. So I think we're in for another, another iteration of that. Um, you know, everything else would just be speculation, Matt, and I'm not super comfortable about that. We all know that there's a big elephant in the room with the gondola. Um, I have no idea where that's going to go. I am a part of those conversations on the gondola subcommittee. Um, you know, uh, my take with SMART has been uh, we'll just do whatever's asked of us. So if something comes our way, we'll do it, you know, but I don't think anything's predetermined um, at all about, about the future for us. I just, as I mentioned earlier in the, in the radio show, um, I just bet it keeps going and going and going, <laughs> you know. Oh, the wheels on the bus will keep turning round and round Hopefully. and round. Um, 
One way listeners can, of course, participate in SMART, this publicly funded public transit body, um, is to attend your meetings to maybe give some public comment Please. during those meetings. And it just so happens there is a meeting coming up this Thursday. Can you just um, give out either of you just some info on how people can tune in and what's going to be on the agenda for this Thursday? Uh, our agenda and the whole meeting packets up on the SMART website right now. There's a Zoom link. If you want to Zoom in, you can do that. Uh, this, this month we are talking about... I guess the only things of highlight would be year-end financial review, sort of see how the books balanced at the end of the year. And then um, we'll have our quarterly uh, performance report. So it's sort of a year-end of 2021 performance report to talk about ridership and the number of hours that we presented and things like that. Carrie has got some super interesting stuff teed up about the off-season, uh, potential off-season schedule changes. Yeah. Just nothing, nothing radical, just shifting things around a little bit, just to be clear. <laughs> Um, right. And then um, some other sort of efforts that we're looking at, like system, sort of tweaking the system to make things connected a little bit more. But um, I think that's going to probably. Then, yeah, hopefully it'll make it easier for our users. That's, that's think, the goal here. I think she's going to have the most interesting topic at this meeting this month, though. That's my prediction. Most coveted award of all. The most interesting <laughs> smart meeting topic. Um well, listeners, we are almost at the end of this hour, so I'll throw this out one more time. If you have a question about the San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation, our public transit agency here, 970-728-4333 if you want to try and squeeze in at the tail of this hour. Um, but my final question for the two of you is that you, um, I'm curious, if you were given a magic wand and, and you could do one thing with this magic wand, change one thing, um, <laughs> oh. in service of... of increasing or improving uh, public transit in our region. What is what is the thing you would change that you think would make public transit um, better in our region? Like a policy or a physical change? What yeah, you, well, what uh, are you getting at, Matt? I mean, I'm not saying like, I, I don't know, get, you know, <laughs> make magical portals to transport anywhere, but right. I, I guess, you know, what is <laughs> what is something you would like to change that would take a lot of effort, but if you had a magic wand, you, you could do I'll it. You, go I, you know, I, I'll... Um, be candid i would like to change people's habits and get them more in tune with using public transportation because it's i mean it's really a gift to, to be able to ride you live in lawson table and i rode the bus for years free every day to work when i worked at san miguel county um so i would that's that that would be my <laughs> that would be my ask i mean that's a big one i know <laughs> David? Mine would be more transit capacity on the spur. All right. Point taken. Yeah. Well, listeners, you have been listening to David Averill, Executive Director of the San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation, and Carrie DiStefano, Operations Manager and Senior Planner. Both of you, thanks so much for coming in and taking some time to chat for Off the Record tonight. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Listeners, I'm Matt Hoyes from the Kodo News Team. This has been Off the Record, and we are going to close out. Um, we've been playing some road trip songs. We're going to close out on um, one of my road trip songs that I just think is a, is a delightful tune to drive to. So um, taking us out on this off the record, um, here's Shambhala by Three Dog Night. Have a good rest of your night, listeners. <laughs> Wash away my troubles, wash away.